The following sermon is by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. We hope you are encouraged by the following message. Well, good morning. Um, it is a privilege for me to be here uh, with you guys this morning. I love being able to share uh, God's Word and what it's really doing in my own life and kind of the message that He's given me and also be able to share uh, with you. Uh, as Josh said, I have been in the church um, a while. So uh, I grew up in going to church my whole life. I then, in high school, decided I think this is what God wants me to do and ended up going to college uh, to become or to head into youth ministry was kind of the way that I felt uh, God was really calling me. And I have a slide that I used kind of at the beginning. It just has a whole bunch of pictures of stuff um, on there. Well, that's my family. Well, I can start with them. Uh, so th there it is. So this is kind of one that I do that just is a, a little bit of me. Um, in like a small bit. It doesn't have everything in there, but just a little of like my track of where God has taken me. Um, through. I grew up in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan. I went to a uh, public school up there. I played soccer and baseball most of my whole life. Um, and there are two things that I knew I wanted to do as I was getting through high school. One is play baseball professionally, because that's just was part of the, the dream. Um, and then in my junior year was, I felt God calling me to ministry of some sort, and that was kind of what propelled me on. It's kind of a funny story because uh, all of where I've ended up and how I have looked, you can say, you know, I was a terrible student. So for all of you youth out there who don't like school, I feel you. Um, I was the one who would do the bare minimum to get by in order to be able to play on whatever team that I was on at that time. Uh, so it's it's one of those things that as God moved me, I remember my grandma, I, I love her so much, but she was like, Adam, you have no business going to college. Um, and I was like, ouch, grandma, that like hurts. But I ended up going to college. I went to Liberty University uh, to start with, and I was there for two and a half years. And then I ended up transferring to Indiana Wesleyan University um, and was there two and a half years. So if you do the math, I crammed four years of college into five because you have to be super good in order to do that. Um, and it also shows that while I was at Liberty, I struggled a little uh, in certain grades that I like to say, if they're not above sea level, um, they don't transfer. And so I lost a bunch of credits and it, it extended my college, but God knew what he was doing. I got to play baseball in college. I played um, the, the time I was at Liberty. And then when I transferred to Indiana Wesley and I continued to play, play baseball uh, as well. Um, my wife will tell you that Transferring was the best decision I made because that's where I met her um, at Indiana Wesleyan, uh, which was a whole fun story in that. A uh, few other things that are just important to me um, up there, you can see Lake Ann Camp and uh, the Detroit Tigers. The Tigers were the team that I grew up loving. I still love them. I'm not a Fairweather fan. They're terrible, and it's okay. I just stick with them all the way through because um, I'm from Michigan, you know, so I have my Michigan teams that I root for. Lions right there, you know, it's painful, but I still just stick with them. Um, and then I am a, a, a Wolverine fan as well, which I love living in Mishawaka, South Bend area now, and all the Notre Dame people. Now, I know you guys are close, so I'm sure there's some Notre Dame fans in here that don't like hearing that, but, um, but I like it because it brings a little bit of just 
fun. And as a school teacher, with a lot of Notre Dame fans at our school, like it's a whole lot of fun to have that chatter back and forth. Um, and last year was so much fun when Michigan just beat up on Notre Dame really bad. And it was awesome. I was grinning the whole time watching that game. And I had a bet with a student, and he had to wear my Michigan sweatshirt all day in school. So it was great um, that I didn't have to wear Notre Dame. But, but just some other fun things kind of about me. Um, I have three boys. You can go back to that picture of my wife. Um, so this is my wife, Becca. She's not here. We actually attend a church uh, at Grace um, Church over right where I teach. Uh, Brick and Gumwood. And so they're there because we have a friend who's in our small group um, who took on a new ministry and she's moving to Texas and it's her last Sunday. And so they wanted to be there for that. Uh, but I have three boys. Uh, Landon is my oldest. He's in the white shirt there. Uh, he'll be going into eighth grade this year. Tate is my next. He's the middle um, in the blue shirt. Uh, he, he'll be going into sixth grade. And then Heath is our youngest. We always like to say if we, they were all here, um, if you ever want to remember my family, we are a BLT with ham. So Adam, Becca, Landon, Tate, and then Heath is our ham. And it fits him because he is quite the character. Um, and most of the time people are like, he's so cute. And everyone tells him that. And then he just thinks it. And he thinks he's the cutest thing and he can get away with everything. And I'm like, no, you're not cute at all, kid. You're... So, and then I'm not allowed to say that, but my wife's not here to correct me. So, so that's my family. We've been, we'll be married um, 18 years this August. Uh, so it's kind of an awesome thing to hit those numbers. And I know you're thinking, how could I be married that long? I'm so young looking, right? Yeah. No, really, I am kind of getting old, I like to say. And things fall apart when you get old and you realize it real fast. But that's a little bit of me. Um, this will be my fourth year teaching at Granger Christian. Uh, like I said, I was not a good student. I never wanted to be a teacher. Um, my mom still laughs every time she, and gets a grin every time she thinks about me being a teacher because she went through all of my years of being a terrible student and having to like force me to get things in. I was the kid that would fail classes because I just didn't turn stuff in because I just forgot about it. Now I'm a teacher and I'm like, it's not that hard. You just got to turn the stuff in. And I'm like, and I get it because I was you and I did that. And so I... God does kind of crazy things, but he moved me from ministry uh, into a different ministry, but I really am enjoying uh, my time teaching at Granger Christian. It's been uh, interesting. They tell you teaching, oh, your first year is really hard, and then the second year, it's like gets better. And by the third year, it's like, it's so easy because you know what you're doing. Well, you know what? Every year has been different for me because like I taught my first year and I had certain classes and the next year I got different classes and then COVID happened and that was a whole thing. And then this last year was still kind of dealing with that. I'm like, I just want a normal year of teaching with knowing what classes I'm teaching. Um, but this year will kind of be that for me. I've, I actually teach sixth grade through 12th grade. So I teach every Bible class at Granger Christian School. So it's a lot because I have a new prep for every hour, basically, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and I love God's Word. I often tell people I don't like reading books. Um, I'm not a reader, but I like the Bible. It's my favorite book. It's, and so when someone's like, what are you reading? I'm like, the Bible. And then they just stop asking me questions because they think I'm being <laughs> ridiculous. But it, it really is. Like, if I read a book, I often don't get into books real well. I just have never been, but I like spending time in God's Word. I love the stories um, 
and the truth that it teaches to us. And so that's my hope this morning as we look at a section of scripture you've probably heard before. Um, I'll, I'll tell you right from the beginning, I'm not probably going to shock you with things that you haven't heard, but I think there are certain things in scripture that we need to hear again and again and again because it's good to be reminded of these uh, basic truths and the way that God has truly called us to live and uh, follow him. And so that's what we're going to look at today. As Josh said, we kind of tag-teamed as I uh, was preparing. Um, and often when I get opportunities to speak, I'm a creature of habit, and I just like kind of have a message that is like my testimony tied into some, some things that have happened. But um, as I was talking to Josh, uh, I was like, well, what are you thinking? And then I was like, hey, we could kind of do something together. So uh, the title of kind of, or our theme is The Impact of Christ. And so that's what I'll be talking about today. And that's kind of what Josh will be building off of next week. So you can grade him next week and then send it to me and I'll make sure, or I could send a Google Drive and we could all grade him and then we could like post it everywhere so we can know how he does since, you know, it's all new for him, but I'm excited uh, for him in this position with you guys as well. But I want to look at this story and I, I, my, my kids get on me all the time because I say, this is one of my favorites almost every time I teach a class and whatever I'm in. Well, this is one of my favorites. Like, I love characters in the Bible, and often if I were teaching, I would be in a character. And I like Old Testament stories because of the depth of the character you get in all of it. And I like stories, you know, Samson and Ehud and some of those, the whole story of in the book of Ruth, and you get all of these characters. But I also love the example that Jesus set for us in the Gospels. Uh, and then you get into the New Testament and you get to see the impact that it had, like in the book of Acts, and then all of what Paul wrote in his many letters and, and what it teaches. Uh, but this specific account in John 2, um, this wedding that takes place, uh, has some really interesting things in it that I was at a conference once. So like all of this stuff isn't just don't be like wowed, like, oh, wow, he's so insightful. Like some of this I've studied and some of it I've heard um, from other speakers and, and taking all that in as this story has always impacted me and I've seen it in a different way. And if you've been around um, the last little bit, there's a new series, The Chosen. Have any of you seen or heard of that? Um, that Chosen series, it, one of its episodes, focused on this story, and I showed several of those last year in my classroom because um, it went along with where we were teaching. And it was, it was cool to see, again, someone else's interpretation of as they look at Scripture and how they see it unfold and, and even this uh, passage. So we're going to go through this passage in... Um, Good form, you know, three points, because you just have to do three. No, you don't, but like it just worked out that way. Uh, but I have kind of three sections. We're going to read a chunk of scripture. We're going to talk about it. Um, and feel free, occasionally I might ask a question and like you can actually respond. Um, and that's okay. Or even if I don't ask a question and there's something you want to say, like I'm good with that too. So like I, I like us to just jump into this all together. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 2 um, or device or wherever you're at. It'll be on the screen as well. Um, the first part we're going to look at are verses 1 through 5. Uh, and so I'll read that for us here this morning. But first, let me pray. Father, thank you for today and just an opportunity to gather together 
and to worship you. We thank you for the time that we have as we uh, have worshiped through music and through fellowship and the time that we have now as we jump into your word. Father, I pray that you just continue to speak um, through me and through your word to each and every one of us. Uh, that having met with you here this morning, that you would change us, that you would challenge us, and that you would truly impact our lives and the way that we live. So that when we leave here this morning, we are changed and we are different because of our time spent with you and together with one another. Father, once again, just thank you for all that you do. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John 2, starting in verse 1, says, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. So, as we set the stage, many of us have been to a wedding. We haven't been to a wedding probably in like this time period in the way that it happened. I mean, they, from what I've looked at, like they partied when they did weddings. It was a big deal. It was a whole representation of the families. The whole like village or town was invited. It took several days. Often their whole wedding feasts were like week-long events. And so part of this was not just to celebrate this new union, but it was also part of this big community and even a, a sending off. And so in good and, and proper ways, like how you really cared for your guests was, a, was something for you. Like it, it came back on you of like who you were as a family or how you cared about your community or what you prepared for. And often in these cases, they would prepare for these weddings for a really long time because you can imagine even in today. If you have a wedding, the cost is significant. And it's like, you know, a couple hours. Like you get like your wedding and the wedding is usually under 45 minutes of what's in the church. And then you go and do some sort of reception. And all of the cost in that, now think of doing that for seven days and all of the preparation you have to have. And then you'd be like, why did I have a daughter? You know, I should have just had all boys so that I had nothing to do with that um, in there. But... This is part of it. So the whole premise of what's going on in this wedding, we're just getting kind of thrown in to the story. And we know there's a wedding. We know Jesus is invited. He brought his disciples. We know his mom is there. And in this part of the wedding, and it says on the third day, so there's still plenty of time left, um, they run out of wine. Now, customary, they would, as it's talked about later on, we'll get to that, like you would have different levels of wine that you would serve throughout a wedding and all of this, but to run out completely would have been like culturally like really bad. It would have, it have left a bad impression of you as a family um, to your guests, and it would, have, it would have brought some disgrace to them. So we think maybe from the text that Jesus' mom was really concerned about probably she was there as a friend. We don't know like all the details, but probably really concerned about the the pride or the care for the wedding um, and, and those who are leading that and that they don't want to feel, you know, disgraced. Kind of like when we have a friend and they're going through something or they do something, you know, and you feel bad for them when it's like that awkward moment or like, you know, you watch someone, there's 
often two types of people, you know, like if I were to come up here and trip, um, there'd be a little like, oh, and then there'd be the people who would just start laughing, you know, and we, we know who we are in those settings, and, and we probably know too, you know, if I walked up and was tripped and Josh walked up and tripped, two very different response, because you know Josh more than you know me, it'd be a little like, oh, I hope he's okay, but Josh, whatever, um, in there. So, we have that culturally, and we can see the sensitivity of the heart of Mary in this moment. Like, she cares for uh, this family and, and the events that's going on. And then she knows who her son is, which is an amazing thing to really think about, the way that she recognizes and knows who Jesus is. And as you think about this first point, this first section, um, something that comes out to me are the 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 word that really came was this idea of respect as we look at this. And you see the respect and the care Mary shows in this. And we see that in this first section, even in the way that she um, goes on. Now, I know what you're thinking because we read in this, and in verse 4, Jesus replies to his mom. Now, how many of you, if you replied to your mother, woman, I mean, I grew up in a time where if I said that to my mom, like, the paddle would have come out. And my mom had paddles because I, I love my grandpa. It's actually his birthday today. Um, grandpa Joe made paddles out of two-by-fours for all of his six kids. Now, there were 19 of us cousins, and so I, we had a big family. But he would make these paddles out of two-by-fours, and he would go in the basement, and he had a shape that he would cut them out. He would router the edges nice. He would drill a hole in it and put a hook so it could hang on the wall. And you knew at Grandpa Joe's house right where the paddle was because you walked in the front door, and it hung right there. So coming in, you're like, oh, man, I better be good today. But then when he gifted them on Christmas one year to all of our parents, we were all like, what? are you doing? Like, worst grandpa ever. Like, how would you do this? But like, we knew, like, I grew up in a, a time where like, yeah, and if I mouthed off to my mom or to my dad, if I was disrespectful at school, wherever it was, man, when I came home, I knew what my punishment was. There wasn't any getting around it. It was go to your room and wait. And you sit there and you're just like, that's almost the worst. It's the psychological warfare that we use as parents. Um, that whole waiting in there. But in this way that Jesus is responding isn't disrespectful at all. Uh, if you have a device and sometimes you can click on a little thing, I know in the NIV it does this in the version app, but it'll show you the, the term used here wasn't a disrespectful. It wasn't how we would typically read this, or at least I do at times when I see it. And Jesus said to her, woman, no, like it wasn't. The way he was responding to his mom was with utmost respect. Like, he showed her respect in this, but he was also showing respect to his heavenly Father, to God. Now, we know God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the, the triune, the, the three and the one, but I think it's always amazing when we see how God shows us who he is, and one of the ways through Christ and the example that Christ set for us and how we respond to our heavenly Father. And even in the way he responds to his mom and to God in this uh, one little phrase, he's showing respect to both of those. And in turn, in seeing that respect, it's crazy that his mom then just turns to the servants and goes, whatever he tells you, do. And like, 
it's amazing at the presence and the way that that all takes place in just these short couple sentences and verses. Because very quickly, the amount of respect that is passed on to one another and to him through his mom, these servants who rightfully so, I mean, we think of it in their times, they're servants, they're employees. Now, if I walked into another place of employment, and even if I knew a manager or whatever, um, and he is like, hey, how you doing, Adam? And we talked or whatever. And then it's like, oh yeah, this is my buddy. And then I went to all of the people under him and I started telling them what to do. They would just probably look at me like, yeah, good. who are you? You know, like you, you don't have any authority over me. But in this setting and however the hierarchy was set up, he was a guest, but yet we figure that Mary probably had some role because of the way that she spoke to the servants, that she was helping with the wedding. It's also maybe why she was concerned uh, that they were out of wine and her care for uh, this family. And then when she turns to the servants and say, listen to him, and then we see how they respond in this next section. And so we start right here at this first section of just seeing this idea of respect. And I think that as I think about that, I love respect. It's one of the big things that I do in my classroom. It's one of the things that I teach my boys at home um, because we have to be respectful, I think, in this day and age to every person we come into contact with. I just heard a speaker the other day, he spoke on Ephesians 6 and was talking about how it says, Paul says right in there, like, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And he brought into the points that like a lot of the things that we fight today is, is spiritual warfare and the things that are going on. And so like our battle is, should not be against people. There are things that are going to conflict within the thoughts and, and the hearts of individuals, but like we should see people as people and we should love people the way that God loves people, regardless of how different our views or our ideologies might be at those times, but to see people the way that he sees them. And it should change us in the way that we engage with our world, um, wherever God has placed us, you know, whether it be at home or at work or at school or jobs or just out and about in our daily life and the way that we show respect to one another. Now, I know I personally, I love respect, but occasionally I struggle with that because sometimes you're just like, ah, people, like, whatever they just did, like, it just sets you off in that moment. But it's something that we truly have to be reminded of, and I think it's a great thing to see the way Christ showed respect in this situation and showed care for not only his mother, but also for the situation and especially for God. And that he was said right here, my time or my hour has not yet come and that he was even concerned, and I always try to wrap my mind around God and who he is and all of the persons, and I come to the conclusion, I just am not going to get it, but I, but I try as hard as I can to just trust God. And so even as Christ is setting the example that he wants to do his Father's will, even though he's technically God and you have that whole thing that goes around, like he is still submitting himself and if Christ submits himself to God, like how much more should I submit myself to God as well? So continuing on, uh, his mother Mary in verse 5 says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. In verse 6, he then says, now 
there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to his servants, fill up the jars of water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Now in this section, I kind of title this obedience. We see these servants who simply shared, um, you know, the, his mom said, do whatever he says, and then they listen to her. And he gives instructions. And he does something that's completely kind of out of the ordinary uh, with these stone jars. Now, you can get into some of what these stone jars maybe represent. There were six of them, um, and they were stone. Now, this is pretty normal of kind of the construction of what they would use for what it's talking about, these purification um, and the water that would be. Now, if they were empty and you had to fill six of these that you know are 20 or 30 gallons, like you and I, we just are like, well, hook up the, fo- the hose to the faucet and like run it in there and just sit there for a minute and fill this up, like no big deal. Like I can do that pretty fast. Well, they probably had to go to a well and draw buckets and bring it back and fill these things. So like this was a task. This is kind of like when I tell my boys to like go move mountains of whatever I feel like having them move just because I want it from, you know, here to over there. Cause you know, that's what my grandpa did to me as a kid. And so I was like, Hey, I turned out okay. So I should probably make my boys just move piles of rocks because it's fun, you know, and it gets work ethic and stuff and whatever and keeps them out of trouble. Um, Cause if you don't, then they just are wrestling constantly. If you have boys, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I had an older sister and I had cousins and yeah, every time my cousins and I got together, pretty much turned into a wrestling match and we always had fun and no one broke anything, but it, It's like my house is a wrestling match many times. So I keep my boys occupied. So this is the task, though, that he gives these servants. Fill up these six stone jars. I liked, um, one thing I read on this was, as they looked a little deeper into this section, um, they said, you know, six is the number when, or the day when when man was created. In Revelation, it's associated with, with humankind, that number six in there, and talks about, you know, the 666 and the mark of the beast and, and all of how that is in humanity um, and how there are six of these jars right here and that they're stone. And stone in the Bible often gets associated to our heart, especially when we're like unwilling to be sensitive to what God is teaching. Uh, but then the idea that these six stone um, vessels are empty, and a place that we really need to be at times to fully comprehend or understand or even be listening for God's voice or instruction in our life. And I liked as they talked about that because it's like, yeah, when I fill myself with stuff, am I really ready to hear what God is wanting to impact my heart with? No, often I can easily kind of shield myself a little bit and just do what it is that I want to do. But when I've emptied myself of all of the distractions and all this stuff and I get alone in God's word and I spend time with him like I hear his voice more clearly. I love that story where you have Elijah on the mountain and all this crazy stuff happens in the mountain. And then a still small voice and he like covers his head and like he knew the voice of God and it wasn't in the big distractions. And I tell, I tell my students a lot, we would love if when we went home, you know, I date myself because like when I drove, like billboards were everywhere. And for like today, it's like, we would love if our phone just like started beeping up and it was a text message and it was like 
from God. Hey, Adam, go do this today or meet this person and tell them this. And I'd be like, sweet, God. Or, hey, I want you to change directions and go be a teacher. And this is the school that you have to apply in. And I'm like, oh, that'd be pretty awesome, God. Um, But often he doesn't quite speak in that way. And it's hard for us to hear him, especially when we've filled ourselves or we've become hardened to his voice and we're not ready to hear it. So that obedience aspect that these servants displayed for me, um, as I always look at stories, we always want to be the hero, right? I I grew up, I love superheroes. Um, And you always want to be the hero of the story. And many times when I read the Bible, I'm like, yeah, I'm not the hero. I'm like that, that in troubled, needing rescued person. And like, I realize more and more as I've gotten older, like that's who I am in life. As much as I love to help people and to be the hero in situations, I'm still that person who needs rescued. Like I need a savior. I need a God. And the more I recognize that, the more willing and open I am to like allow God to be that in my life and to maintain that position of authority and that number one spot for me. And in this, he tells these servants to go fill these jars, and they do this, and then he gives them another simple instruction at the end. He says, now draw some out and take it to the master of the the feast to, to test. And then they did it. And I know if I were one of those servants, I'd probably be like, why am I having to fill these things with water? This is such a pain. And I just put a bunch of water in these things, and he wants me to draw it out now and go, like, Why? So he can taste water from stone jars? Like, what in the world is going on? But yet they do it. Like, we see something in their obedience that whether it was because of the respect aspect we saw, um, because they don't know who Jesus is. Um, They probably don't know who Mary is really that great, but whatever it was, culturally or otherwise, they were obedient to these tasks. I think that's something for me, it challenges me a whole lot because how often am I truly obedient to what God has called me to do? You know, and I get to teach the Bible in a Christian school. It's pretty easy for me to be obedient in the like sharing the gospel with people. But outside of that, how obedient, how much do I stretch myself and see the opportunities that God has hand delivered to me at times, have put people in my life or cross paths or allowed conversations to go a spiritual direction to where I sometimes go, eh, maybe next time, God. And yet these servants, for me, have always kind of been one that goes, man, I need to be obedient to my Savior like that, to where I just do whatever it is he asked me to do. And I don't question it. And I just allow him to do those things, and I just get to go along for the ride. And that's exactly what they get to do, and I think it's just a great reminder and picture to us of what it means to be obedient to God. As we finish this story um, in verse 9, it says, When the master of the feast tested the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. We're going to come back to that, because I think that's a really cool thing. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Canaan and Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So we get the 
the events or the combination of the story of kind of like the, the what happened at the end. Well, they took this water, which they probably, again, if it were me, I would have been probably pretty begrudgingly like doing all of this stuff, to the master. And then whether they poured it in, whether when they drew it out, at some point it changed. Now, they're the only ones in on everything that's going on right now. And before, like, I mean, put yourself in their shoes for a moment. If you are doing all this and you're just kind of like, uh, and then all of a sudden when you poured that out, like it was different, you would be like, what just happened? Like you would know, and I, I am a processor, so I would just be trying to process like, like what in the world just happened? And then you would be really interested in what this master who would often be someone who would taste and test and know the variances and the differences. They'd kind of be the, the connoisseur um, of things. They would know. And so like, then I would be real intrigued to what they were going to say as I poured this out. Because at first I'm like, I'm pouring you, you know, water from a well that came out of stone things. And, and it's probably, you know, like when you give your kid hose water and they're like, ugh, this tastes funny. And you're like, ah, it won't kill you. Um, you know, I kind of like hose water. I'll just be honest. It's weird. But um, we sometimes get like purified water and I'm like, this tastes weird. And they're like, but it's purified. I'm like, yeah, it still tastes different. I just like it straight from the ground. Um, but whatever it was, they pour it. And now I'm assuming, because I wasn't there, although I'll tell you, if I could go back in time, I would want to go here. This is one of my like favorite when people say, if you go back in time and do anything or go to any place, what do you be? I'm like, I would want to try Jesus juice because that's what I nicknamed this right here, the, the wine. I was like, I would want to try Jesus juice because something Jesus made has to be just like mind-blowing. Um, and I don't drink and, and have no, I'm not siding or saying drinking is good or bad or any of that, but like Jesus made this. Like I would want to try that, you know, kind of like when my grandma made Boston cream pie, like, I wanted that. Like, that has become my favorite cake. Like, that's actually, it's a pie, but I, that's my birthday cake. My wife tells me it's not a pie, but I battle that one forever just because I'm stubborn. Um, but in this point, I'm sure they were looking at everything that was going on and waiting for the response. And I love the response of this master because he stops everything. And is like, whoa, 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 and calls them up. Now, this could be really good or really bad. You know, as a teacher, psychological warfare is in my nature. And so, like, occasionally, uh, my room doesn't have an intercom just because I get put, I'm the only male secondary teacher, so I got put in the farthest corners of the building away from everyone. I think they're, I don't know, sending me a message or just worried about me or whatever. So they text me when they get stuff. And my favorite thing is when my phone goes off because I, I leave it kind of on my podium. And then I go, Anna. And that student will look at me and be like, you have to go to the office. And that's all I say. And they're just like, but why? And I was like, go to the office. And it's like, you know, they need to get a piece of paper or something. And then the whole way down, because it's a long walk, they're just like, 
what did, you know, I'm sure as a kid, you're like, what did I do that would have got me in trouble? And it's like, oh, I could have got for that or, you know, but then they get back and they're like, Mr. Willis, like all I had to do is get this paper. And I'm like, yeah, I know they told me, but I just didn't want to tell you. So in this whole idea, I'm sure they're just waiting for the response and he stops it. And they don't know right now that this bridegroom family is like, Oh man, we're about to just get humiliated because we've run out of wine. And instead he goes and praises them. And he's like, most people do this, but you, to all the guests, are blessed because you have received the best now. And I think when you look at this part of the story, why I really like this part is that you get this picture of the gospel clearly portrayed right here in kind of a unique way. And I love how in the Bible, we're pointed to the gospel over and over again. In the Old Testament, we see the gospel. And in the gospels, we clearly see the gospel because Jesus is right there. But in this, you see the, the way these servants got to be part of something bigger than themselves. Now, they didn't realize it, but yet I'm sure there was a little bit of a buzz and excitement afterwards and, and that they knew what was going on, as it said. They drew this water, they gave it to the guy, they watched the guy, and then when he erupted with how great this is, they were like, like they knew what happened. They were inside of all the events. And they got to be exposed to or got to understand the truth of the situation. And that's what the gospel really is. It's the truth. It's a message of truth, a message of hope. And we have that message and we get to share that message with others and we get to watch the way that it changes them when they accept that truth. And these servants got a firsthand of that. Now they got it in a different way because it was dealing with wine at the wedding, but I think it's such a cool parallel picture of how we get to be with Christ and hear his word, and see the things he's doing, and not even understanding how he is, but then we get to take that hope and that love that he has given to us, and we can share that in so many different ways with people we come into contact with. And at times, you begin to see that change. And I have a story um, that I want to end with, and then I have a couple challenges, but I, as a youth pastor, I've gotten to see this a few times, and probably my favorite Um, experience was um, several years ago, we were living in Grand Rapids and I was a youth pastor at a church up there. And we took on the role of of taking on some exchange students um, one year. We actually took on one in the summer for a short time. And then in the fall, we got contacted by the agency um, that they had some students from Taiwan that were coming in, they needed host homes. And so we were like, yeah, we're open to that. We were blessed with like my favorite house ever, is probably the hardest thing about moving from Grand Rapids is because we really love that house. And it was like one of those crazy things. We bought it in 2009 when everything was kind of bad. So we got like way more house than we ever should have been able to afford. I had people who would be like, how much do we pay the youth pastor when, I, when we moved into that house? But it was like God knew what he was doing. It was perfect for hosting and all these things. And we had five bedrooms and we didn't need five bedrooms. So we always had a guest room and we were like, yeah, we have room. Um, and so we took this exchange student on 
His name was Kenny. Um, and Kenny came, and they tell you all this great stuff about how they've studied English forever, and they're, they're good, and they're like bilingual. Well, Kenny gets to us, and Kenny like barely speaks English. And he's going to be going to a private school in the area. And like we're trying to find out stuff. Well, he came. We get him enrolled in school. He's there. We're having him at dinner. My, my youngest was pretty young. We always used to joke, who's going to learn English faster? You know, Heath or Kenny, because they are both pretty bad at the same time um, and all of this. But we find out more about Kenny. Um, in July, Kenny's dad committed suicide in Taiwan. Like, Kenny was broken when he came here. And part of his coming into this program was to just get him out of the house. His younger brother had kind of erupted and became um, troubled and was sent to like a boarding school. Kenny was just kind of like beside his mother, didn't know how to handle it right away. And like there was just a lot of brokenness in their family. And so he got on this program and went into uh, the States and to school and he ended up in our house. Um, And Kenny just became like one of my boys. Um, And he just like he needed a family. And we sat down at the dinner table every night. And as a family, we ate meals. As a family, we did stuff. We went to church together. He went to every youth thing because I just took him with me and that was just part of the deal. But Kenny immediately resonated with church and the worship music. Like that was new to him and he loved it. And like he couldn't hardly carry a tune or even know the words or say them, but like he loved worship. And then through the course of time, like he got engaged in the youth group. And then at winter camp that we went into at Lake Ann, um, the speaker was speaking about like the purpose God has for us. And he came to me afterwards and he was like, I, I, I want that. Um, and I got to lead him to relationship with Christ. And it, it to me it still is probably one of the most impactful moments. And after that, I was like, God, I'm good. I'm done. You can take me now. Like this was it. Like this is what I was here for. Um, this one thing, because Kenny's heart just exploded when he accepted Christ. And it like completely changed him. He was like a happy-go-lucky kid anyways, but like just a new life because of what the impact of Christ had had on him. He went home and told his family about Jesus. Um, His family like is still like, they come from a Buddhist background, but like when he was in Taiwan, like he would found, found a church a uh, Baptist church and would go to that church um, and, and tell his family. When he was back here, um, he would share his testimony with anyone who would hear it. At, he went to a private Catholic school was the program he got into. So I always said I had fun. Um, when you're in your religion class, I was like, Kenny, if you need help with religion, because I can't imagine learning a new language and then also having to learn words like, you know, reconciliation and salvation. Like, okay, like, where's the bathroom? I understand that, but like, let's get into deeper spiritual things. Like, that's got to be hard. And I was like, when you have trouble, like, come here, and I'll help you to know, like, what they want you to write down, and then I'll tell you, like, what the Bible says, and like, we'll all look at this together, and, and that. And so, so we had a good relationship that way. I became like a father figure to Kenny, because he literally didn't have one um, at this time, but it was such an amazing thing to see the way that God worked in Kenny's life because he heard and experienced the truth of the gospel. And Kenny now has graduated from college. He actually got married. I did his wedding last, last December. Um, and he is just living for God. Like, and it's been an amazing thing to see the way 
Christ impacted his life and changed him. Um, and I, I keep in contact with him regularly. When we moved, it was right before his senior year, so he was with a different host family, which always was like hard on us because we're like, no, where are you the host family and, and that. But like Kenny, it, his story has been one that like forever, forever will be one that I'm like, God, thank you. Like I didn't deserve to be in that spot, but you put me there somehow. Um, and it was just because we were willing in that moment. I think ultimately that's what kind of I want to conclude with tonight as we look at this. I have kind of three challenges. Um, The first one as we look at respect and knowing who Christ is. We have to know Christ. Um, I'm sure I'd be a little bit um, silly to just assume we all in a room like this, even in a church, that we all know Christ and have a relationship with him. And that's something that we have to consider of do we know Christ? Are we walking with Christ? Have we accepted Christ as our Savior? Um, in that same way, and then, and then that whole first point in the text of that respect, that relationship is driven out of that respect that we have uh, for Christ and all that he has done for us and his death on the cross for us. The second one, that living for Christ, falling into the obedience category. Um, I think when we are living for Christ, we're walking with him. Uh, we're obedient to him. And I think this is the spot like I struggle the most at sometimes because God, bless this. Like I have this really cool idea. It's so great. Like like right here. And God's like, but Adam, like I, I want you over here. But I'm like, yeah, but this is really good. Um, but he moves us at time and we have to be obedient to what he wants for us. I found uh, in the last eight years, it's better just to be like, God, whatever you got, I'm good. And I'm on board. Um, because in the end, he gets you there and sometimes it's a more painful way than what you would have thought. Uh, and, and that's a story for another time. But, but being obedient and living for him in all that we do. And the third one, um, that truth of this last point of share Christ. Now there's so many ways we get to share the gospel as we leave here in our attitudes and our words and our actions um, and through God's word. And I think that's something that in our day and age, we need to be more aware of than anything else because uh, we're, we live in a dark world. It's just the nature of where it is. And we encounter people who don't know about the hope of Christ. And we have the privilege of sharing that truth, just as those servants had the privilege of taking the miracle that Jesus does just did with that water and sharing it with not just the master, but they then got to take it and share it with every guest in that room. Um, And that was just the place that God had put them in that moment. And we are all in different places and in different communities because God has placed us there and we have the ability to share his love and his truth with them as well. So let me pray. Father, once again, just thank you for today. And Father, I do pray for each and every one of us here in this room that we would have just been impacted through your word. Uh, And may my words have been yours. And Father, that you just challenge us in the way that we live our life. Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they might um, come and talk to me or or someone else about how they can know you uh, before they leave here today. Father, I pray for those of us who, who have professed a relationship with you, that we would seek to be obedient to whatever your will is for our life. On uh, the ups and the downs and the good and the bad, that we would be obedient to what you have called us to do. And in that obedience, that we would seek to share your love with this world, uh, to share the hope that we have and why we have hope 
when life seems to fall apart or when things are happening that are unexplainable, that yet we have hope and trust because of who you are and the relationship that we have. And that we would show that relationship through our words, through our actions, and even through your testimony and your word as you give us opportunities each and every day to do that. Father, once again, just thank you for today and just the opportunity we have to be together. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's message was brought to you by a guest speaker at Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.